0: You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Josh Patterson. On today's episode, Kyle Worley and I will be joined by special guest Trillia Newbell for a conversation around race, blended families, and the hope of the gospel. Then we're going to jump into our slow take segment, add David Rourke to the conversation as we discuss what Christians should do after the election, since we're only a few days away from the vote. Well, we want to welcome onto the show Trillia Newbell. And Trulia is a wife, mom, writer, and speaker. She serves as the director of community outreach for the ERLC. She's offered two, or authored two books: "Fear and Faith: Finding the Peace Your Heart Craves" and "United." Captured by God's Vision for Diversity. She's got a third book coming out in December uh, called Enjoy, Finding the Freedom to Delight Daily in God's Good Gifts. Her writing can be seen regularly at the ERLC, Desiring God, and the Gospel Coalition. Trulia, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome, Trulia. We're so glad to have you.
1: Thanks, pal. Thanks.
0: Well, I think just right out of the gate, uh, just you can tell from your books that you, you write wi- widely, right? So you've you've written on fear, you've written on finding freedom, you've written on race. And so uh, talk to us a little bit about some of these passions that are in you and, and what you've been able to write towards.
1: Sure. Well, I have a real heart for people, and so a lot of the topics that I have written about um, are things that I've been on my own heart, my own struggles, that I hope can encourage people in their faith. So, for example, United, um, I wrote that mostly based on my own experience growing up in the South and also being in a predominantly white church. And in fear and faith, I've struggled with lots of fear. Um, I've had various trials, and I wanted to, to think through, okay, how do we fight for faith and why can we trust our awesome Holy Father, and then enjoy with all of my, the various things that I have struggled with, I have been sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, and Mm. God has given me this gift, I believe, of joy, and so I wrote that book thinking through, okay, how can we delight daily in God's good gifts without... um, idolizing right, or feeling guilty, because right. those are the two swings that we'd like to, we have pendulum swings. So um, so I just have a heart for people and want to encourage their faith.
0: I love that. And I, I just affirm my interactions with you uh, since, since I first met you a couple of years ago have been nothing but enjoyable. And my wife would say the same thing. Right. And I was just actually talking with Jen Wilkin right before uh, this show, and she was asking who was going to be on. I told her you were going to be on, and she says, "Oh my, I wish I could be on the show." She's the nicest person Aww. in the world, and so it—it it just there's a fruit in you that's evident that you—you you really do love people, and it's—it's uh, mm. it's really encouraging to know that you write towards that and affirm people in that and speak to issues that—that that certainly all of us can identify with. I—I I don't know that I—I've met somebody who hasn't at one point or another struggled with fear of some of some sort. I know that I have, and then. Coupling that with the idea of freedom and enjoying the Lord delighting daily in his good gifts. Yeah. Trillia, I I just want to double down on everything Josh said in terms of just an encouragement for you, sister, and how you've been a blessing
2: to many of us as we read your work and interacted with you personally. Um, You you mentioned something whenever you were just describing a little bit of why you have found it. So uh, you found a a voice writing to people as they struggle with issues and deal with issues. You talked about growing up in the South and how United really talks about what that experience was like. I, I would love maybe if you feel comfortable sharing just a little bit of your personal story, um, particularly along the issue of race and racism and growing up in the South and how maybe you um, as an African-American woman have experienced racism, discrimination firsthand. And then I'd love to hear a little bit about what has, um, what has enjoying God and kind of mourning the sin of racism, what does that dynamic look like for you?
1: Mm. That's a great question. Okay, first of all, though, thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> it's so such a blessing, and thank you, Jen, if you hear this, <laughs> it's a real yeah encouragement to my faith and a blessing to me. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the South, and I had a really great up, upbringing and just real, just sweet. It was a sweet upbringing, but I also felt um, really firsthand with racism, and it was mostly though not only, but mostly the parents of friends. Hmm. And so um, parents being concerned about um, me coming over or parents being concerned about um, their their sons liking me or um, parents, or, or not being able to go to a certain country club where people would have parties hmm. in my area because I was, um, black African-American and so there was lots of that and one day one time I was walking down the street with someone um, who was a black a uh, white uh, male excuse me white male and someone threw a rock outside of the window it said i um, the n-word lover and um, yeah it was a just it, I experienced firsthand racism and um, it was something that was confusing to me um it was confusing because not not because i understood the imago dei image of god um because i wasn't a christian but it was confusing to me because i did understand that we were all people Mm -hmm. and my father who had also experienced extreme racism um had taught all of his daughters to really love people and to um yeah to accept and to forgive so so it was a confusing time growing up, <laughs> as I would battle with identity crisis, as I write in my book, trying to figure out where I fit in, and um, and and just trying to forgive and yeah, it's hard. But um, but in terms of you asked me how how do I enjoy people or enjoy life? Well, recently, um... with also battling go ahead. Yeah,
2: recently on your blog you asked the question, is now a time for mourning or rejoicing? I'm a regular reader of TrillianNewbell.com and I thought that was such a poignant post and you described the dynamic quite well of there are things to mourn and particularly as we look at kind of the state of this conversation in our country right now, we find some opportunities to mourn and yet at the same time there's this biblical exhortation to enjoy God and to uh, Mm. find delight in the good things that he has provided in this world and the common grace of the gifts that we've received. And so I just would be curious for you, as you have been a firsthand recipient of something that I know nothing about, what has the dynamic looked like between mourning the sin of racism and your firsthand experience with it, but at the same time, pressing into joy in Christ and in the body of Christ?
1: Excellent. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 22. And at that moment. All of the things that I cherished about diversity and about um, unity became it's almost like the Lord said yes what was planted in your heart is true but it's even better because it's in my word Mm. and from that moment um, I, I began to just read the scriptures so differently differently and see all these things that I had that desired as a young child and as a college student were, I I believe a part of being an image bearer. I mean, God was giving me that desire because it was his heart for people. And so as I've watched this conversation continue to be a a mess, I mean, let's be honest, (laughs) I have, um, and as I've watched, as people have said harmful things, one of the ways for me that helps me to um, fight against being completely jaded and cynical is the truth of the gospel. One, racism is, is, is sin. So we, we have taken these, um, the terms such as racism and made it a political Stroke problem rather than a heart problem. It it's oh, There are, there is there are political systemic racist. There's trouble in in our in lots of our um, organizations and systems etc. But it's also a major heart issue. And for us, so for me, and I remember that I am also a sinner. I can I can have hope that God can cause people to repent. And change, and that helped me with this rejoicing that here right now there is hope the word says if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us first John 1 9 so there's hope but then there's also hope for tomorrow one day all things will be new <laughs> and all Everything will be wiped away, all of this misery, all of this weeping, all of this sin, all of this divide, and we will rejoice together. We, that is our reality, that's we, something that we can look forward to. Ephesians 2 talks about uh, that the wall of hostility has been abolished in Jesus Christ. That's our reality. We're mm-hmm. not walking in it, but that's our reality. And that also brings me hope, so it allows me to rejoice, knowing that this is true. This is what the Word says, and this is true, and we have a hope to look forward to. But also, really practically, I've seen people repent. I have had people email me and tell me, you know, I, I have read your stuff, and the Lord revealed something that I didn't even know I was struggling with. Pride partiality, etc., and and I just think, okay, gosh, this this will keep me going because otherwise I would crumble. I'm just being really honest. I yeah. would crumble at yeah. the weight of it all. Um, so, so there's encouragement because I've seen it. I've seen people repent. I've seen the Lord unify people. I've seen people engage in conversations that they would not have otherwise. If we weren't starting to try to work these things out I have seen organizations start to really take action um, to repent of old sin it's it's encouraging it helps me to rejoice and knowing that God is faithful and he is good and the God of the Bible is to he is to be trusted I can trust him he's my father I can have hope so I can rejoice and yet I mourn about this conversation and about the reality of our sin and about the reality of our our divide every single
0: day. Amen. That's a great word. And, and, you know, as we think about the last, let's just take two years um, in terms of race and then the political climate that we find ourselves in, there's been a weight, uh, I think, collectively that we've felt as a society. And I know the church is feeling, uh, I wish the church would feel some of the weight more, um, but there is that sense, I can really identify with what you're saying, of it can feel crushing. It could feel like they're, like, how how do we unravel this? You know, how do we work through this maze? And, and that's why I, just going back to the scriptures as you just admonished us and considering the vision that God has given us for racial harmony, the vision he's given us for diversity, you think about uh, the book of Revelation and where we're all headed and what's trending and what What's compelling that? What what is pushing that forward? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ, and so uh, even as the culture has been so weighty and challenging and difficult, um, and I would say in some unique ways, at least in terms of exposure, um, it has given us the opportunity. And some churches have taken it, and some have not. Some Christians have taken it, and some have not to kind of push to the side and and maybe claim. Uh, maybe for the first time or maybe afresh, really the hope that we have in the gospel and just saying, Lord Jesus, you have to do some things and really seeing the power and the beauty of what God has done in scripture, what he's revealed to us in scripture, what he's done for us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so, thinking about that beautiful vision and picture of diversity and racial harmony, our salvation, where all of this is trending, the hope of the gospel, I I would pray that we as a church would even in these difficult times, it can be weighty and crushing. Um, see the beauty and really the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this. And um, l- let me ask you this: how, how have you seen some of this vision played out, even within your own family? This, in my
1: family, yeah, this vision of
0: well, of diversity and that's... harmony and all of those things.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm married to a white male, and I'm black, and so. Every day I wake up we kind of look and I'm I'm living it so <laughs> you are I mean and that is just a narrow God is calling all tribes and tongues and nations and and we are just a a limp on the screen of all tribes and tongues and nations but it's really sweet to be able to see in my own family that reality lived out and um actually my hus- I became a Christian at the age of 22 and about a couple of years later my now husband became a a christian and then um and then we got married and it's it's one of the things that i love to tell people is that we kind of live out that whole ephesians 2 that the first part of it first part of that verse is i believe it's 1 through 11 maybe or 10 or something like that talks about um our salvation we were dead in our trespasses and then for by grace you have been saved, and this is through faith. And I feel like, okay, that's what the Lord did to Thern and I. And then read the rest of the chapter, and he's talking about, and therefore, because of this salvation, Christ has abolished the the divide, and he is making one new man, and Mm. you can, and you have fellowship together, and, and so that, I think, is a beautiful picture of what happened with Thern and I. We are um, first, reconcile to God and then to each other, and um we are, yeah, and so it's for for us we've it's just yeah, it's beautiful to see that, and we have two lovely kids um and just so you know, a lot of people ask us, did your parents struggle with um this issue race um, interracial marriage or whatever you want to call it? and the answer is no. Because I imagine some of your listeners would have that same question. Sure. Um, yeah. we we never had any any problem at all. and um, and I'm gonna say something unfortunate. The unfortunate reality is is both of our families are or have been rather liberal, and it seems like the liberal um political crowd would be more accepting. Of this marriage, um, and I, I can it, I can even see that still today, which is a problem,
0: yeah. right?
1: Oh yeah, so, it is. Um, and yeah, that's a problem. And to your point so, earlier,
0: you know, you mentioned this earlier about people repenting and people who were once blind but finally able to see. That I, you know, I've done a few weddings of biracial weddings, and where family members were opposed to it, but throughout the courtship. And in prayer and in kind of confrontation with the gospel, were brought about to repentance, and and now there's beautiful racial harmony in in what is a multiracial uh, family. And so I've seen it both ways, and I, I, um, I just imagine how painful that is for some people uh, to experience yeah. that. But
1: absolutely, I receive if if I receive almost monthly, um, at least. One email asking for advice on how to yeah how to either um, help them change their parents' mind or it's it's it is so sad <laughs> it's really sad um and and I think that's why as pastors for uh, this is for pastors pastors really need to make sure they're preaching on this more and preaching on the Imago Day and. Helping people understand the full implications of the gospel and what that means, and um, I just think that people are just mostly uninformed and 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 fearful, and so um, yeah, so it's it's something that I I definitely I'm encounter I encounter all of the time. This this is it's a, it's yeah it's sad, but. I have hope because I I've also heard and seen what you are communicating. Yeah. Where people turn and they change and they 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 start to see people as humans. Yeah, they do, they <laughs> and, do. yeah. Yeah.
2: So truly, I know that you thought about this not just in terms of your marriage with your husband, but also of your children. And and as um, as one who prays and hopes that our churches will increasingly grow uh, more diverse, that we'll see more um, uh, interracial marriages, and uh, and we'll see families ad- adopting and. Um, And foster care. So here at our church, one of the ways I think we see families um, bring in diversity into their family is through foster and adoption. And so I'd really love to hear your thoughts as, as one who is actually in the adoption process right now, uh, and uh, is connected with other families in adoption and fostering here in the life of our church, many of whom will end up adopting or fostering a child who uh, is from a different racial background or ethnicity than them. I would just, what kind of encouragement and advice uh, would you give to those families in terms of maybe uh seeing potential obstacles or hurdles that would come uh down the way for them and then what are ways that we can celebrate and educate families that are heading in these directions of bringing in children in particular into their homes that may not be from the same ethnic background as they are
1: yes okay so i'll start with the one of the things that um, Yeah, I've received this question before, and one of the things that I would encourage families to do is to gain knowledge before they come. So, for example, someone who is from Ethiopia is going to have a different experience. I don't know how most of these kids, I don't know how old they are, but they're going to have a different cultural background than an African-American, than a black American. Because um, so, so... they they may desire to understand their their Ethiopian roots and their culture and so that's going to be really different than than just knowing American history. Yeah. But when they are in the U.S., they will be seen as just another black person for the most part. So you will you will want to have all sorts of knowledge and gain understanding and and know the history and in order to um i guess relate fully to your child because they're gonna experience things that your other if you have other children um aren't gonna experience and they're going to have hardships that 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 they they yeah it's just gonna it's gonna be different and um and you're you're going to want to to expand and broaden probably who you read, um, what you're watching, what your documentary, what you're thinking through, how you're thinking, and um, and gain as much knowledge as possible. But most of all, and I I think most adopt. I mean, not I, I can't I I just really can't speak broadly for everyone who adopts. Um, but you. You're going to want to love them and, um, and yeah, be, treat them just as you would any other child in your family. And so I I think um, another thing, I know that Dr. Russell Moore has written a book called Adopted for Life. And so I think maybe reading that book, I, I don't believe I've read it a long time ago. It addresses um, this topic fully and completely, but he does talk about the, uh, what what it looks like to be adopted by the, by the Lord and how that adoption reflects um, the unity of cultures and classes, etc. And all of those um, dividing labels are abolished in Christ. Now, with that said... What he's not advocating and what I don't advocate is a colorblind, like, as if you don't see. We, I think you want to celebrate the differences. You want to celebrate um, how how God has made your child. So um, so I think it would be foolish, and, and excuse the, you know, if that's too strong, but I think it would be foolish to pretend like, oh, we're adopting a dark-skinned child, but the kid, and but then try to uh make them completely assimilate into white culture That's good. um because it's just, it's that it's not gonna happen and it it could just do harm in the end um I have a friend who uh she one of the ways that she she adopted a chinese girl and one of the ways that she tried to love her was to try to learn the language which <laughs> was that wow. was terribly hard and i think Every week, she would try to cook some sort of dish that would, and so she 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 wanted she didn't want to just make the child assuming okay you've got to just you you have to erase any identity when you look in the mirror you can't pretend you can't you can't see that you're actually uniquely made by God you have to be just like God she instead embraced. These beautiful differences, right. and I really think that's lovely. I just thought it was so encouraging.
0: I agree, and and thinking it just goes back to the picture of the gospel that we've talked about a few times already on this particular episode. I I think in closing, we just have a couple of minutes left, and and I, I would love for you to encourage um, believers, right? Um, and I, I know that's a pretty broad category. Um, as we're talking about Christians, but specifically what we've been talking about with this. We've been talking about race and reconciliation, repentance and light of the gospel and all of these particular issues. And so, Truly, if you could just give us some practical ways that as believers of all races and backgrounds, um, how, how can we, what are some ways that we can pursue uh, racial reconciliation? And, um, and I think we, could, we can kind of close it from there.
1: I, I wish I had a list in front of me, but first, <laughs> I think, know God's Word. And know it from Genesis 1 to Revelations, because all throughout God's Word, He is redeeming a people for Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And He has created everyone equally. We are sinf- sinful equally. We are redeemed equally. We are God, Jesus has a multi-ethnic mission. Yep. He sends his disciples on it, and, and then we will be rejoicing together, and so all throughout Scripture, you see this picture that we are talking about. Um, I think, so one, gain an understanding, and not just some understanding, but a robust understanding of Imago Day, of the Gospel, and of our future hope. And then I think um, gain understanding about Culture around you, so not just history, but people in general. Get creative. Try to find ways to gain knowledge. Um, resist apathy. It's good. Resist it. Um, we we have a temptation to just want to ignore the pain around us, or to think everything's okay. Um, resist apathy. Impress into. The, the pain and sorrows of those around us, and um, and then don't in, enjoy it. <laughs> God created us, us all so unique and different, and this is His idea, and it's beautiful. And so we can um, we can re- rejoice in that, and we can. Gain knowledge and understanding, and it doesn't have to be the scary thing. When we say race or when we say ethnicity, we put up a card. Yeah. Take it out of the political system and put it into the gospel, and you can delight, right? So, gain as you gain knowledge, enjoy it. Enjoy learning about the differences of people from people and how God has created us, um, and then open your mouth. Get. Open your door. Open your mouth. Invite people in, people who don't believe just like you. Who, who look different than you. Invite them to your lunches, to your boardrooms. Hire people. Get radical and 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 bring people in. Um, there's probably a hundred fifty other. Hey, (laughs) I'll say this: (laughs) of the five,
0: of the five you just gave, I think those are home runs. And and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna summarize them. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say them again. Uh, You you said this: know the word, like know the greater story, know the better narrative, understand the scriptures, and then don't be ignorant or foolish to the culture. So understand the culture. Understand that there's a there's a no anthropology. Know people, that there's a richness of culture and color and diversity that God created. Uh, avoid apathy, right? Don't, don't fall into the sense of laziness or apathy where we're not using the muscles that God has, has given us to use for His glory and our joy. And then I love you move from scripture to culture, uh, avoiding apathy, and then uh, uh, contrasting apathy is this, this call to enjoy this. Like, this is a good, rich journey. There is pain involved in it. Uh, there is hardship. Mm-hmm. There is scandal. There there is sin along the way, comma. But there is grace. There is a there is yeah. a better picture. There is a better vision. And I love how you said this. Don't do this alone. Uh, find a neighbor. Be a neighbor. Uh, invite neighbors in. And and hey, I maybe there are one hundred and fifty more of them, but. If, if the church just did those five uh that's that's a rich admonition that you 've just given us and i I would just say this in closing one thank you thank you, thank you uh, yes. and then two the 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 conversation that your disposition is just lavished in grace i mean you just tell you're you're a gracious woman and and that has to be the flavor and the fragrance of the believer. Um, as we kind of journey down these roads that and enter into these conversations as we're a neighbor to people and people are neighbors to us and we're seeing them as humans and people and the Imago Dei and all of this, that grace cannot be can't, can't be in the distance. It's got to be right there in front of us and behind us and around us and hemming us in and being reminded of what God has done for us in His Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, thanks for being an example of that. Thanks for speaking life uh, into us and and giving us some things to think about and encouraging us as we as we talk about everything from from peace in the heart uh, and uh, fear and faith and unity uh, being captured by God's vision for diversity and then I think the final call of enjoying uh, we're finding freedom as the title of your book to delight daily in God's good gifts and. And so, sister, we're grateful for you. Thanks for being on the show. We just ask the Lord to bless your ministry, your family, uh, and that you just know the goodness of his presence and his promises to you. So thank you. Thank you, Trillia. Okay, here with David Roark and Kyle Worley, we're just gonna uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about politics beyond the election. Now, we've given this topic of politics quite a bit of attention, and I think for good reason over the last few episodes. And some people have liked what we had to say. Some people have liked uh, what other people had to say. Some people don't like at all what either of us had to say or any of <laughs> us had to say. And and I think by wading into some of these waters, you're just gonna find that that um, it's not our aim to please everyone, but it is our aim to. To demonstrate Christian charity and have a conversation that uh, I think is important and helpful in a way that, that demonstrates a true foundation of brotherhood and sisterhood and love for one another and respect for various opinions in such a way that we can actually have a conversation even in one that we disagree with where I, I know that we don't all agree on all of these points and topics and certainly people that we've had on the show I disagreed with, they disagreed with me, that's just part of it. But But beyond politics, right? So after After this election, how should we as Christians be thinking about this, uh, the bigger topic of politics beyond the election? So let's kind of talk about that for a little bit. I I think the biggest
3: thing that I would say is that we need to be thinking about it. Um, I I think that as Christians, and and I've felt more guilty during this election than I ever have, we have a tendency to sort of um, sum up our political engagement Um, with this vote for the president of the United States of America. And so I think that the biggest thing we can do um, beyond kind of the practical ways that that would flesh itself out is to just be thinking about this particular issue, thinking about how we can care about politics, how we can be praying about politicians, how we can be involved in political change outside of this thing that we only get to do every four years. So I think that that's that's a good start is to make sure that it's – on your radar, that it's something you're being faithful to um, outside of the presidential election. That would be a start
2: in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think one of the the maybe unnecessary burdens that we place on the vote when it comes to the presidential election is there's kind of this thinking. And whether it's uh, explicit or implicit in our thoughts, it's generally pretty present, which is I have convictions – Um, I can't change anything on the basis of my convictions because I lack the power. The president has the most power in the land. So if I want to see change happen, I need to make sure that a president gets elected who aligns mostly with my convictions. I think that's kind of the thought of a lot of people and certainly. Um electing somebody in office who jives with our convictions, who syncs up there is an incredibly important act and we don't want to diminish the significance of voting. Um, it has a lot of significance in our society. But I think that the problem with that thinking is the second statement, which is I can't change anything on the basis of my convictions because I lack the power. I think really we've been entrusted with a lot of resources or just some resources and that we need to be asking the question before or after the election in what way can I influence society on the basis of my convictions with the things that the lord has entrusted
0: me with Okay so I I think about what Paul wrote in Titus, and at the beginning of Titus chapter three, this this passage is always convicting for me. Uh, where he says this, "Hey, remind them," talking about the church, the believers, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And he's talking here about not the not the elders of the church, not those who are uh, in charge per se at a at a particular congregation. He's talking about. Uh, The government, he's talking about those who are in charge of the land. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And then he talks about why, right? Like why are we to be this way as a people, as a church? Um, What kind of fragrance does this give off, Mm. right? This idea that we're gentle, we can demonstrate courtesy towards all people, people who agree and disagree, uh, that the the posture of our heart is one of obedience and glad submission, knowing that the perspective of politics is so limited, Mm. but our God reigns and rules over all things. And so we can submit to a government, to an authority that we may totally disagree with, because ultimately... Who oversees all of that is the king who's on the throne. And he says this, For we ourselves were once foolish. We were also disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Like that's who we were. That's not how we operate as the people of God. Because he says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because we did anything in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, there is so much in there in terms of what it looks like pre-election, post-election. It looks like gentleness. Mm. It looks like speaking Uh, in a way that is courteous and life-giving and full of fruit and because God has done this work in us. And as I was kind of working through this passage and thinking about these things, um, it's easy and my heart is tempted to speak ill uh, and to speak in a way that uh, could be malicious uh, about people, about policies, about principles. And let me say this, there are some aspects that come up in political jargon and discussion that are evil. Mm -hmm. That the scriptures would say, abortion is evil. It's wrong at every level. Uh, It's murder at every level. It is reprehensible in the sight of God. And yet he says to us here, speak evil of no one, right? Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy towards all people. And there's a way in which you have to kind of wrestle with that. What does it look like to speak the truth in love? Uh, What does it look like to engage uh, with strength and humility and that's and Kyle to use the language that you've used on this show several times just this learning to kind of improv right learning to really work this out in life and i think going back to to an understanding of the fear of the lord where the fear of the lord is the the art of the skill of godly living that we're we're learning how this works and we're going to have to learn uh, how to do this in the political realm, and I think some of the conversations that we 've had along the way, you guys jump in here i 'm kind of on a on a bit of a rant, but but the way that the way that we have not been thinking about it to your point, David, where you said one thing we need to do is be engaged, and the fact that we were lazy in our engagement probably for the last twenty thirty years, it means that those muscles that improv that that learning the skill has atrophied a bit, yeah, and we 've kind of lost sight of what it looks like to enter into conversations winsomely, to enter into conversations lovingly, delicately, but while not compromising the truth, but speaking the truth in love. And so, as I think about politics beyond the election it looks like godly living right it looks like godly cultural engagement it looks like those types of things yeah
2: and 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 really trying to reduce or reclaim godly living in a particular place at a particular time and so um i think that one of the things that maybe this election has drawn out is that when if politics is displaced from the level of the person um it's going to result in some really easy ways of mischaracterizing other individuals and of using political policy and positions as really kind of a a bat against other people. And so uh, Yuval Levin in his book, The Fractured Republic, which has been really influential for me over the last year and who um, has certainly been influential in conservative uh, circles for quite some time. Um, uh, But Levin's thought is really this – A real call to attention that when politics is removed from the level of neighbor and person, we are going to end up misrepresenting other individuals. And so I think maybe a way forward here particularly for the church, is continuing to try to model what does um, healthy and civil discourse look like with our neighbors? What does it look like for us to come to an awareness that generally the policy decisions that are prevalent in the news or the political positions that are out there, they really do represent flesh and blood human beings? who have loves, who have fears, who have worries, um, and that these pixels that we're arguing with on Twitter or Facebook or the people that are commenting on our status updates, they're not commenting just from a place of ill will or maliciousness. I think that's very rarely the case, but often we assume that it's the case most of the time. They're commenting from a place of desires that are governing their hearts and minds and, and real uh, hope that maybe things could change for the better. And I think we we have to remember that and to rehumanize the people that we're dialoguing with in political discourse and rehumanize these issues. Um, That if the presidential vote or the voting for this president uh, is the most significant political act, then we will have really missed an opportunity to be engaged with these issues on local levels. You know, um, one of the things that I mentioned in a recent blog that we put up about this topic over um, at the Village blog was investing in local institutions and organizations. I know that's something that you and I, Josh, have talked about in terms of just what does involvement on these issues look like at a local level where we can actually see the people that are surrounding these issues and are engaged with them. And I really like – it makes me think of Andy Crouch's
3: book, Culture Making, when he, his big emphasis in that book is to change culture, you have to create new culture. And so one of the, the things he always comes back to is just look at your community even more specifically, look at your neighborhood. Where is something missing? Where is there a need? And then thinking about what new cultural thing can you put in place or do to change that, to to provide an answer to that. I think it's thinking more that way um, than thinking about something so big that a lot of it is so much out of our control. However, I do want to go back to thinking about the office of president. I think as you were talking about the tongue and our words, Josh, I, I think I've, I've found myself feeling really convicted just knowing the state of my heart and some of the things I've even said about several of the presidential nominees or, or both of the, the main ones. I've been having to ask myself, whoever gets elected, am I going to be willing at that point to respect, to pray for? to, um, not speak illy of that particular individual as a Christian. And I think that there's a huge opportunity there that regardless of what's, what happens, um, that we can, can be a light even in the way that we talk about that person. Even if we disagree, we think a lot of their policies are evil and unhelpful. I think as we move forward with whoever does get elected, um, there's just a We've talked a lot about as Christians bearing witness during this election, and and that's fleshing itself out in several different ways. But how do we bear witness once that person's in place and on our social media feeds and our conversations about how we're talking about them? And then even more importantly, are we actually spending the time to pray for that person and not just the president, but you know other offices as well? Yeah, so. that
0: that is a good word. And and to be clear, we're, what we're not saying we are not saying that um, by by not By praying for somebody that you affirm everything that they stand oh, for, of course you not. Know, that that 's foolish, uh, but we what we are affirming is what the scriptures have revealed to us in that this is the good and right posture of the Christian that the Christian recognize no no, no no, this is not the highest office in the land. Mm-hmm. this is not the one who reigns and rules supreme there There is a God who is sovereign over all, and he sees fit to bring into office who he sees fit, both the just and the unjust. And and although there may be an unjust person in office, there assuredly will be someone in office uh, at the inauguration next year that I disagree with. Fundamentally, at levels of character and yeah. policy, it, it's just – it's going to happen. But the scriptures would bear witness to my heart saying, are you gentle in your conversations? Can you speak in a way that is both winsome and strong? And to to bring up Andy Crouch again – his most recent book, Strong and Weak, mm. that there's this idea of the, the mixture, the tension, the fullness that a Christian walks in is both strength and weakness. So we can speak strongly about what is evil and humbly at the same time. That's modeled in the life of our Savior. Yeah. There, were he, there were things that he did with great passion and strength, but all while doing it in a posture of humility and kindness and ultimate out of love. For sure. And I think it's important and something that I feel
2: like I've lost sight of in in, in this last year as well is that we should disagree absolutely with that which is explicitly evil, but not everything with which we disagree is evil. So there are things in these candidates that I may not agree with in terms of policy positions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that because I disagree with it, it is evil. There are things in these candidates that I think Are evil. Sure. And I disagree with those things explicitly. But I feel like part of the rhetoric has been, uh, and particularly in the last year, and why it's been so polarizing, is that we have characterized all disagreement on the level of principle and evil. Which is not necessarily the way that we should approach disagreeing with people. If I disagree – if every time I disagree with my wife, I assume that our disagreement was a result of her having an evil position, we would never make any progress forward and our relationship would be far from healthy. And the same goes for our political process and the people that represent us in an electoral government is that uh, not everything with which we disagree with them necessarily means that the position they hold on this issue is evil.
0: We might be short-sighted on some of the things with which we disagree with them. Well, thank you guys for this, and I I do just want to kind of end this slow take section just going back to Titus chapter 3 where he's talked about, Paul talks about here, um, the fact that we have been redeemed by grace. We've been been lavished. He's poured out richly. Just think of the imagery there, poured out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that we've been justified by grace. And then think about this, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. Like this is what the church is to insist on, right? That we're to insist on being careful to devote ourselves to good works. Mm. Not because by works we're going to earn anything. He's already said that. But by, but because God has lavishly poured these things out on us, that we're to be people who are busy about good works. And he says these things are excellent and profitable for people. And um, that's just... I I think as we kind of close the discussion about politics and barring something insane, which it may happen, we may talk about it again. I think this is just kind of where we want to leave it, Uh, leave it here right where the word uh, leaves it with us, that we're to be these kinds of people who are devoted to good work. So thanks for the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. If there's anything you heard us talk about today on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can always find those details on our website at thevillagechurch.net. Just look at the episode descriptions on our podcast page. On our next episode, we're going to be talking with Brian Fisher, the co-founder of The Human Coalition, about the sanctity of life and the progress we are making in ending abortion. And so if you have any questions, please let us know on social media using the hashtag #AskTVC. We'll see you next time. God bless.